I thought my writing would flow, being up there all by myself, and I managed to get some words onto paper, but it did not flow as a spring river like I'd hoped. Predicting when art will happen is like predicting the weather or when you'll fall in love. It snowed and it snowed, and I was up there all by myself in the cabin. One day, after my trek to town in the truck, I was climbing up a snowy road and the diesel was humming along. I was on autopilot, thinking all I had to do for the day was get to the cabin and I'd be chilling for the rest of the night. Then, I looked up, and ambling down the snowy road was a propane gas trunk, headed straight for me. Fuck. This is the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast from The Climbing Zine. I am Luke Mihal, and this is episode 25, Adventures in House-Sitting. Now, much of the focus of this first season of the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast has been climbing stories, and uh, it's important to note that I feel like I am a dirtbag climber, so climbing is not just about the act of climbing, which is very important to me, but... The lifestyle that surrounded it um, was also very important too. a lifestyle that's changed quite a bit, but also is, I think, very true to the roots in uh, being creative to survive. And there's different ways of creativity now than when I was in my dirtbag prime. The best way to support this podcast is to subscribe to The Climbing Zine. We come out three times a year. You can also pick up some books or just pick up a bundle of zines if that's how you want to roll. Just making some sort of action to support the podcast. If you do head over to your show notes after listening to this episode, you can find a link to get 25% off in the store. And I got some other notes on the podcast that I will leave at the end of this episode. Let's get into episode 25, Adventures in House City. Elizabeth had just moved to Colorado, and we just started dating. On our third day, we were both hungover from sharing some cannabis edibles, and we had to meet with a couple who wanted us to house-sit for them. House-sitting doesn't encompass this, though, does it? I thought to myself. A yurt with no electricity, a cabin with barely any electricity, four cats, a dog, 40 sheep, two roosters, 20 chickens, and two donkeys. The lineup of animals in the immediacy of sharing a space with someone I just started dating should have tossed up two red flags. But it didn't. And why didn't it? Why was moving every month and watching strange animals for strangers becoming normal? Midway through the tour of our property, Elizabeth sat down and nearly fainted. The couple, new sweethearts themselves in their 50s, said kind words and got her a cup of water. We played her sickness off to the altitude and continued on with a tour, which ended with, sure, we'll watch your house for a month. My adventures into full-time house-sitting began with the downturn of the economy around 2009. My job in higher education was cut to half-time, and my new supervisor and I weren't seeing eye-to-eye. So I resigned and decided I'd write full-time. I moved from Gunnison to Durango with no other plan other than that I didn't have a plan and I wanted to write and I'd rely on the kindness of strangers and climbers would be my friends. Gunnison to Durango is a common transition. People get tired of the gunny cold or lack of jobs or lack of whatever and they move down south a few hours. 
My one connection was with the local independent weekly newspaper. They said I could write for them. It would pay a hundred bucks a story. I was making 30,000 plus benefits in Gunnison when I was full time. On paper, I was doing the stupidest decision for my career that I could possibly make. But should a writer write for paper or should he put his hopes and dreams onto paper? So the paper let me run a free classified ad. Here's how it went. Responsible but unemployed dirtbag writer looking to lounge in your house and water your houseplants and maybe pet a cat. Working on the great American novel. References available from important people. Well, that wasn't exactly how it read, but you get the point. Go big or go home, right? I was in Joshua Tree, California, on a road trip when I got the call. Would you like to watch our home for the winter while we're off in Mexico? Um, yeah, sure. Do you have any references? Well, how about the president of the college or the editor of this newspaper? Or perhaps the governor. Let me try his office. Um, that won't be necessary. Come by in two weeks when you're done climbing, she said. I was bluffing with the governor. Sure, I'd met him a couple times over the last few years, and maybe I'd be able to get a hold of someone in his office who remembered me. But it made me realize I was no longer a mere dirtbag. I was a person who had shouldered responsibility for three years. And responsibility begets responsibility. True, I was unemployed with nothing but a $300 graffitied card to my name. But damn it, I had a resume. Like Superman, I could go into a booth and change from dirtbag to responsible 30-something. With that, I went from a guy living out of his car on a road trip to a new resident in the great city of Durango who lived by himself in a $300,000 house in a subdivision. House-sitting is merely a higher level of couch surfing. I'd probably spend a year of my life surfing couches. All for the dream of climbing. With couch surfing and house-sitting, the code of ethics is basic. Be respectful, clean up after yourself, and make yourself wanted. Be such a good couch surfer, your host would rather have you there than not. Same with house sitting. Take care of the house, the plants, and the animals. Make yourself valuable. When I was couch surfing, I lacked ambition to do anything that wasn't climbing. Now, after three years of my nine to five, I had ambition. I had a burning desire to work, and more importantly, to write. Once I was in Durango, I scoured the classifieds every day looking for a job that I could utilize my skills. I applied, went to interviews, met with the president of the college and other important people. I thought I'd have a job within a month. I didn't get one. When I lowered my standards to jobs that paid the same as what I was making in college, I still couldn't find work. A shot in the heart. Was that when Bob Dylan meant when he wrote, 20 years of schooling and they put you on the day shift? but I couldn't even find a day shift. Luckily, I was able to get unemployment insurance, a couple hundred dollars every other week to get me by. A lot of people talk shit about other people on unemployment, but it was saving me, and I'd paid into it for 16 working years. I was one of those people on unemployment who actually wanted to work. My drive. I don't really know where it came from. I think it was my 30s. All throughout my 20s, I had passion, but not enough discipline. I'd get fired up about some environmental or social issue, but would rarely follow through with activism. I'd just go climbing. I put so much damn effort into climbing. Too much effort, perhaps. Now, climbing is the spice of my life, but before, it was the main ingredient. Without a job, but with the fire, I just woke up every morning and wrote. 
I wrote for hours, fueled by coffee and that human desire to get your story on paper. Get that story recorded and then it outlives you. Inspire people. Make them cry. Make them laugh. Make them feel sorry for you. Make them feel envious. Be human and put all the victories and mistakes into a story. For some reason, I could just write and write in that house and everything just flowed. Maybe it was the setting. A south-facing solarium that created natural heat and allowed sunshine and just perfectly. A wide-open ceiling that went up for 30 feet to a fan that circulated all that warm air. An elegant middle-class kitchen with proper dinnerware and a feeling of sophistication. There was a bookshelf with classics from Hemingway, Fitzgerald, and Garcia Marquez. If I were feeling sorry for myself, I'd just look around. I poured it all into the paper. And at the end of a writing morning, I felt damn good about myself. And I still had the whole day to do whatever. I'd never been so free. More importantly, I was working. And freedom without meaningful work is nothing for a 30-something. It's purgatory, really. Freedom is an ingredient, another spice of life. My chores were simple. Vacuum the floor, clean the bathroom, shovel the snow, and keep the houseplants alive. Basic stuff. There weren't any pets. I could leave for a couple days at a time if I wanted. I had an extra bedroom for guests. This was the greatest house-sitting gig in the world. Day after day, I wrote stories from the great dirtbag experiences of my life. I read books from their bookshelf. When I get tired of the house, I'd go running or climbing and write more in the coffee shop. I was a little lonely, being new to town and all. But I was a climber, and a climber always meets other climbers. It's one of the greatest things about climbing. If you're a decent human being, you'll never run out of friends. Word was out that I had a house in Durango, and guests came through. One of the mysterious dirtbag laws of the universe, have a couch to offer, and they will come. I had dinner parties, and we lived it up in this strange, magical juxtaposition of my current state. When spring arrived and the owners of the house returned, I cleaned that place, leaving no counter unwiped, no toilet unscrubbed, and no carpet unvacuumed. They were pleased with my efforts and promised to call me again if they ever left for another winter. I hit the road to Yosemite. With nothing lined up in Durango, I went back to Gunnison Valley after a little road trip. It was purgatory. I partied too much and wrote too little. I had a good summer with friends, but my drive was beyond having a good time like it was in my 20s. After the summer, I'd returned to Durango. I ran another ad in the paper and scored another house-sitting gig. This time, in addition to loafing and watering plants, I would watch an animal, a dog, a sweet deaf dog named Asha. Her owners would be off doing humanitarian work for a month. I liked the idea of being part of that, even in a minor way, and I had a month to figure out my living situation in Durango. So there I was, again, in another nice middle-class home, living by myself with an exquisite office to compose my words in the morning, with only slightly more responsibility, walking the dog. Asha roamed free most of the time, but demanded her morning walk. She woke me up at seven every morning, barking, saying, it's go time. I started my coffee and walked the dog, and then I wrote. Before they left, the owners of the house told me a neighbor was looking for a hand with their horses. It would pay like 10 bucks an hour. Still collecting unemployment, I figured I could use a couple bucks of cash on the side, so I inquired. It turned out the work was horse monkeying, a proper way to say cleaning up horse shit. Maybe a year before I would have declined, but I was getting more humbled by the day. So I mucked. It actually wasn't too bad. 
It only lasts for an hour or two. The woman was really nice and had a brother who was a rock climber who passed away at a young age. Maybe in something in me reminded her of him. When you get along with someone, it's amazing what you'll do from them. And after Interim Director of the Office of Public Relations and Communications, Assistant Director of Public Relations and Communications, and House Husband in Training, my resume could now list Horsemucker. And this is where I started to get into trouble. Everything went well for this month, and once I got used to Asha's morning's walks, the dog and I got along famously. Then other calls started to roll in. One guy in particular I agreed to meet with because he was a climber. He had a place in the hills, completely off the grid, solar-powered, small farm with many farm animals. A kind of sustainable, if the world goes to shit place, you'll probably live at because you'd survive longer than you would in a modern home with nothing growing to eat and completely locked into the grid that is modern American existence. I was intrigued. The couple had me over for a homegrown dinner at their property, which was 30 minutes from town, off the highway and then twisting and turning for several miles on dirt roads. They served me a hearty meal of veggies and meat. After dinner, I got a tour of the place. There were solar panels that provided electricity, a wood stove, a backup generator, marijuana plants, a greenhouse full of vegetables, chickens, pigs, horses, and a fat cat. There was even internet access. It would be my modern-day Walden for a month. Another piece of the puzzle to get locked into Durango, this place I wanted to call home, but I had to find a way. I was a year into my unemployment streak. I was hardly depressed by this situation. Maybe I should have been, but I just kept writing and climbing, and that usually keeps me from depression. And then I was secluded by myself in this cabin. It was February in a dry winter thus far. My little car made it up the winding dirt roads to the cabin, but they left a big diesel truck for me in case the car got snowed in. The routine in the morning was like this. Wake up, make coffee, start the generator, fetch some wood, make a fire. Feed hay to the horses, feed pigs their grains, although they would eat horse shit if you threw it into their pens. Check on a couple of chickens, feed kitty, go back inside, and write. Write for a while and then water the plants in the greenhouse. There were several water collection tanks, and I liked the idea of this existence. Be responsible for your food, water, and shelter. Each day, I would have to make the 30-minute commute into town. I didn't have to do it every day, but I did it every day. I couldn't imagine a day going by not talking to someone, seeing someone. Even if it was just going to the coffee shop or to a yoga class. The thought of a day all to myself, secluded in a winter cabin, was terrible. And then it started to snow. And so I shoveled the snow off, off the house, clearing off the solar panels. My car was stuck up there, and so I used the big diesel truck. Even though a round trip to town cost me 20 bucks in that beast, I still made the drive every day. I was lonely. One day the pigs got loose, and I chased them around before they finally went back into their pens. The hay from the horses made me all stuffy and sniffly, and hay was all over my clothes all the time, it seemed. I thought my writing would flow being up there all by myself, and I managed to get some words onto paper, but it didn't flow like a spring river like I hoped. Predicting when art will happen is like predicting the weather or when you fall in love. I tried. It snowed and it snowed, and I was up there all by myself in the cabin. One day, after my trek into town in the truck, I was climbing up a snowy road, and the diesel was humming along. I was on autopilot, thinking all I had to do for the day was get to the cabin and that I'd be chilling for the rest of the night. Then I looked up 
and ambling down the snowy road was a propane gas truck headed straight for me. Fuck. Despair. I was going to die the saddest death of a house sitter, ever. He was coming right for me with a tank full of propane for a head-on collision in a vehicle that I didn't even own. Suddenly, at the last minute, he swerved to the side of the road, barely missing me. He smiled when he finally drove past. I hated him for that smile. I was terrified and sick to think that I was born into a world where I could have died a death like that. I was counting down the days at the cabin like a school kid ready for summer, and I was ready for spring. I learned that spring comes quickly to Durango compared to many other mountain towns, and soon I'd be hearing the birds chirping, women all around wearing less clothing, flowers would be blooming, and rocks and sunshine would dominate my days. The second to last day before it was over, the truck broke down while I was making my rounds in town. I spent the night at a friend's house and then called the owner in the morning. He suggested I get back up there before the horses got restless and decided to take off. Damn it, this is a fucking job, I thought to myself. And what am I doing it for? So I hitchhiked, and it was a classic hitchhiking ride. A guy picked me up who had dated a girl who was from my hometown in Illinois. He was also a climber who had also lived in Crested Butte. There were all those sorts of nuances and synchronicities that came into play, and it brightened my spirit. This is why I love rural Colorado, because you could hitchhike and rely on the kindness of strangers from time to time, and everyone has stories. And your stories intersect just like your past do together. He dropped me off. I just hiked the rest of the way up to the cabin when it differed from where he was going. I was finally back, and all the animals were still there, hungry, but still there. Then I decided that I was overextending myself, and I needed to start charging for my house-sitting services. Right after my next one, with more plants and animals, two minutes from town, right next to a local climbing area. Maybe this was the greatest house-sitting gig ever. I moved from the cabin in the hills to a great little modern middle-class palace, just minutes from town. From dark and secluded to open and sunny. The owners were nearly my parents' age, but a hip version of them. They were going backcountry skiing in British Columbia for the month. The first thing they said when I met them was, This is Sparky, our dog. He's old. Don't worry if he dies. They also had a murderous little kitty named Kitty who pounced on mice and birds. There were dozens of chickens with a well-tended to coop. The garden was still put to bed, barely being spring and all. A few hundred yards away was East Animus, our sandstone crag that could match up with any local crag anywhere. At the last minute, they told me, well, our friend Mark was going to stay here, but he's coming through on a book tour and we'll be gone, so we told him not to. Bummer. I inquired more and told them I'd be more than happy to let Mark crash at the place. At this point, I'd only met a few true authors, and they were who I wanted to be. Turned out, Mark had written this book called The Man Who Quit Money, and the focus of the book was this gentle, modern vagabond named Daniel, who, in fact, refused to use money. It was a bit of an indie hit at the time, and I was beyond curious. Please demand that Mark stay here, I pleaded. After we discussed Mark and Daniel Moore, we realized we had mutual friends who had mutual friends with them, and in turn, we were mutual friends. And then, officially, I realized if I had mutual friends with people that were my parents' age, then it was destined that I was going to be a grown-up at some point in the near future. I finally knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. I wanted to be like these people who I was house-sitting for. 
Have a couple animals, a nice little sustainable house, a lover, a garden, and a charm life in this little town nestled between the desert and the mountains called Durango. So, still unemployed, I lived a month there in complete happiness. I met friends up at the crag to climb some sandstone and finally found some sort of balance there. It's one of those crags, no matter how hard you climb, the holds all seem to be facing the wrong way, and the gear is strange, and then all of a sudden you're scared out of your mind, climbing on another planet, and all you want to do is be back on the ground on planet Earth. But then, you attune yourself with your surroundings and put in your time, going through the grades, climbing the classics, and then you're home. And then you're in the moment, and you just assess the dangers and risks one by one. And then something beautiful happens, and you can't explain it in words unless you were John Long or Jack Kerouac. With all this energy in me, with spring in the air, fully blooming, I found myself a project. Chingadero. It means something like fuck or shit in Spanish, and I'm sure I uttered those words a hundred times while working the route. A 50-foot line of crimps and tiny, tiny footholds. The required balance, finger strength, and persistence. A hold had recently broken off, and there was much talk among the locals that had been bumped up a grade. One day while trying it, a fire built within me, and I simply had to send it that day. As I reached the crux and began the crossover, while gently tiptoeing around some holds, I fell. And then I screamed, and I screamed so loud everyone at the crag heard me, and it echoed as far as an echo could go. And my belayer said, easy, buddy, reel it back in. The beast was alive. And in all men lives a beast that must make peace with the man. In that moment, on that particular crag, with the sunshine beating down, the world was perfect, and I was lucky enough to be born into this world. When I started to calm down and breathe, the beast was released. The snow-capped mountains to the west smiled, and my home for the month was just down the trail. Mark, the writer, and Daniel, the man who doesn't use money, arrived in the middle of this blissful month with some of my mutual friends from Gunnison. They were on book tour. Man, if I could ever go on a book tour, that would be about the greatest thing in the world, I thought to myself. When they arrived at the house, I was out climbing, and they dropped some things off, most notably some pastries left on the counter that had clearly been day-olds, or dumpster dive, obtained for free, for sure. They left for the book presentation, and I was planning to make it, but I stayed out climbing until the sun went down, and I went to bed early, and everyone came in when I was asleep. In the morning, there was a house full of interesting people, and what is a nice house without guests? My friends from Gunnison also knew the folks I'd house at before this gig, the one up in the hills, and everything felt interconnected and synced. Those moments in life where you feel like you're on the right track and everything is going to work out. Mark seemed to be the groggiest. After all, he delivered a presentation the night before at Maria's bookshop. And from what I'd heard, it was the most well-attended all year. While he made his morning tea, I started asking him questions with the pace of a first-year newspaper reporter. How many books have you written? Did you self-publish? How long did it take you to make it as a writer? Have you made it? I mean, do you make your living just writing? Why didn't Daniel write the book? I hear he's a writer. How many more stops are in your tour? What advice do you have for me? He answered politely and dipped his tea bag in the tea, looking at me groggily. I calmed down a bit. I mean, I was a writer too. I was just a writer who had not yet written a book, which in a way seems like being a virgin. I could write, but I did not have that fat piece of proof, that printed book that declares once and for all, if I accomplish nothing else in my life, I did this and it wasn't all for nothing. After my barrage of questions, everyone gathered in the living room 
Daniel emerged from his room, and he seemed like a quiet, gentle spirit, even if he survived on discarded pastries. We all had breakfast, and Mark simply picked up the tab for Daniel. I mean, Mark was making money off this book about a man who didn't use money, so in karma terms, things just worked out for Daniel. They gave me a copy of the book for free, and they both signed it. I read it in a fever and wished it was longer. Mark was in tune with Daniel's spirit. After this dream gig, I decided to start charging for my house-sitting services. Animals are work, and more and more people were calling me to ask if I did shorter stints, watching their houses and pets while they were away for the weekend. I moved into a house, paid rent, and just started doing weekend gigs for a little extra money. My unemployment ran out, and I finally got a job at a Mexican restaurant. It was far from ideal. I made thousands more per year with my public relations position, but my writing dreams were kept alive. These were dream gigs, which usually involved nice, like-minded people with well-behaved pets, sweet gardens, and hot tubs. Then there were strange animal people, like the crazy cat lady who paid me 10 bucks a day to go over to her house, feed her fat cats, and water her plants. She had a special device that measured the moisture level in the house plants and accused me of not properly watering them when she returned home. There were also a couple of crazy chicken ladies. One lady said, my chickens are like my pets. And another suggested I cuddle with her favorite chicken once a day for about five minutes. I turned down both of those gigs. Close relationships with chickens are the house-sitting version of a red flag. Months later, I returned back to my original gig in Durango. The owners were headed back to Mexico for the winter. By then, my first book was published. I was a virgin no more. The house had the same feeling and flow. It had now been two years without a girlfriend. Plenty of girls, but no girlfriend. At the end of the winter, I got reacquainted with Elizabeth, a woman I'd met in my last summer back in Crested Butte. She was visiting from the East Coast and had a boyfriend when I met her. I pined over her for a month afterwards, and we stayed in touch through the guise of riding and climbing, two passions we both shared. Eventually, she broke up with the boyfriend, and it moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee, a part of the South that is renowned for its climbing. She loved the dirtbag climbing lifestyle and wanted to take it further, to move out west. We started to correspond, and I fell in love with her words. She was in the East, desiring the openness and freedom in the West, and I was in the West, desiring a woman to come into my life. She suggested moving to Crested Butte. I thought that was a good idea. And then she suggested moving to Durango. Even better, I said. Then she asked if she could stay on my couch. Damn. Spring was here and my heart was open. I wrote her handwritten letters. We replied sweet nothings over email and talked on the phone for hours. And then Elizabeth set off for Colorado. Just over 24 hours later, and she arrived on my doorstep, like the answer to a dream. She was groggy when she arrived, and I was on my way out to work, so I told her to make herself at home. And I meant it. When I came home from work that night, she had rested and was doing yoga. She was as beautiful as I remembered. We talked and played Scrabble, and then I made a move. She said she thought I was shy and gentle, and this side surprised her. We had an innocent night listening to soul music and savoring the promise of new love. The next night, I had friends over to meet her, and we ate some cannabis edibles. Way too much. Paranoia, then dizziness. A terrible, terrible second day. And in the morning, we had to meet up with this potential new house-sitting gig. In hindsight, I could tell it was poor judgment from the beginning. She would start the house-sitting gig while I finished up mine, and then I would live up there until I found a place to live. 
Two weeks after Elizabeth arrived, I went on to Mexico for a wedding. She dropped me off at the airport. She started the new house-sitting gig, and she was already in love with the West. When I returned, she picked me up. I joined her at the property. It messed up my writing routine, and when my writing routine is out of whack, I become irritable. Plus, there was all these animals to attend to. Chickens, sheep, cats, donkeys, and the llama. I had to start a generator just to use the computer. The honeymoon was over. I just wanted my own space back, and it was gone. There were moments of despair, being too close to comfort, but we kept it positive. I moved into my own place so we could have a space to grow our love. We took a road trip to Yosemite. She was a great co-pilot. We talked and talked and told stories of our lives. We made love in tents, climbed rocks, and ran trails. When we returned, she went up to Crested Butte for a weekend. I agreed to stop by the farm and feed the animals. One of the sheep had escaped. With his crazy slanted eyes, he looked at me. I looked back. He did not want to run away, but he also did not want to be captured. I chased that sheep around for an hour. Just when I thought I had him corralled into his pen, he would run faster and cut back in the opposite direction. I gathered some buckets and chicken wire, trying to create a blockade where I could get him. I was frustrated. I cursed at this slanted-eyed beast. He did not know what he wanted. And maybe neither did I. What was I chasing? Why was I moving so many times in a new town that was slowly becoming my home? I'd lived in 15 different places in two years. Did I have a plan? A focus? Or was I just moving around out of instincts to live and eat another day? And was there anything wrong with that? I was tired of it. I knew that. And I finally got that little guy, wore him out, forced him into my blockade, grabbed him by the collar, and put him back into his pen. And then it was pretty much over. My writing picked up and I went on a book tour. I found an affordable place to live close to downtown and told all my house-sitting clients I was retired. My relationship with Elizabeth fizzled, not destined to go the distance, but rather to have some sweet stolen moments at the end of a crazy period of my life. But the leap worked. I'm at a place in my life where I'd hoped to be, writing my moanings away and telling my stories. I have a job that allows me to eat and community of people to climb, run, and laugh with. I see the people I've house sat for around town and we small talk like people do. With each person, I see the memories come flooding back, the plants and the animals I cared for, the strange nuances of their properties and the people I distanced myself from because I did not want to see what they were like when something went wrong. Durango is where I want to settle down. I felt drawn to the landscape immediately after my first visit, and now I've drawn to the people and the culture. When the time comes to buy a place, I've already seen many of the options of property and housing and styles of living. Someday, I'm sure I'll purchase a place with a lover, maybe have a cat and a dog. And eventually, I'll probably need a house sitter of my own, and inevitably, some transient looking to make a few bucks or one just in need of a place to crash for a while. And maybe I'll see a part of my former self in their eyes. And if so, I might start off with something like, you know, I used to do some house sitting in my own day. That was episode 25 of the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast from the climbing zine, Adventures in House Sitting. 
We do need your support as a publication and a podcast, and the best way to do that is to pick up some items in our online store. I've got a link in your show notes for 25% off anything in that store. If you're looking for more content, episodes 1 through 19 of this first season all tell a complete story. If you started, if you found us recently and found us in these bonus episodes, these all stand alone. But episodes 1 through 19 tell a cohesive story that is based on my memoir, American Climber. A couple other things, if you're listening on Spotify, if you listen to your music on Spotify, there's a Dirtbag State of Mind playlist on there. And that's got some of the music I was listening to during this era of, of writing American Climber and some of these other stories. So go check that out and please follow if you like it. Music from this episode was brought to you by Ketza. Chad Rich is our digital editor and producer. And this is Luke Mihal coming at you from Durango, Colorado. Thanks for listening.